Hi, everyone. Welcome to this edition of Roar Lions Radio. I'm your host, Bill DeFilippo. Nick Polak is currently molding young minds in the baseball field. So we went out and got Matt DeBear. Matt, what's going on? Not much, Bill. Good to talk to you again. Yeah, right back at you. Should be a... This is always one of the podcasts I'm looking forward to the most because uh, it is for what always ends up being one of Penn State's dumbest games of the year, the Nittany Lions hosting Indiana this week. Uh, Yeah, I'm expecting this to be a pretty silly game. Kicks off 3.30 p.m. BTN from Beaver Stadium. And to commemorate what should be a fun game, we decided in the spirit of friendship to go out and get our pal Kyle Swick from Crimson Quarry. Kyle, what's going on? Not a whole lot, guys. Glad to be here. No, thanks for being here. First things first, Adidas basketball is going to be kind of run dry, and I assume all the schools are. How do you feel about <laughs> Indiana basketball certainly getting the death penalty, sir? Uh, uh, he did, he didn't know I was asking that, so if he seems a little bit I, shaken, it's because he knows he has to tell the truth. It, it has been the wildest 24 hours because, <laughs> you know, there's there's this just, like, desperate desire to, like, get off all these riffs about Louisville and oh, yeah. then also knowing that one of their like big time assistants was once one of our big time assistants. And, you know, we're all tied up in whatever it is Adidas is doing probably. And, uh, basically anytime there's a tweet that's like the FBI is going to announce, I have a little miniature heart attack, but then like 20 minutes ago, we found out that Romeo Langford, uh, like one of the best players in his class from the yep. state of Indiana, uh, took Louisville off his list. So, ostensibly yeah. leaving IU the front runner. And so that's cool for now. Yeah. So and just kind of casually sit back and twill our thumbs and pretend everything's fine. And I, I'm until sure, it's not. I'm sure it's fun that it's been extra silly that uh Tom Crean for whatever reason is being like his name is now being mentioned as a uh response to basically every single he, job vacancy. And the person on your is, site who tweeted uh, upside of hiring Tom Crean for Louisville would be having a coach that could actually beat Kentucky was fantastic. <laughs> and it's great because we already have like Kentucky fans in our mentions about uh, letting us know just how many times they beat Tom Crean, which is just amazing. It's like, thank you. Thank you for clearing that up for us. It should be noticed that, uh, or it should be noted that Tom Crean is currently the favorite odds wise in Vegas. Ooh to be Louisville's interim coach. So it's not just like Crimson Quarry and related parties being jackasses on Twitter. Like, it's literally a thing. So So, would you like to uh, run down the list of names and Matt, as our uh, site's gambling correspondent, can tell us what the best bets are there? uh, I I only have three. Hold on. Let me go to the website that they're doing it on. I don't know if you guys have, like, something else you can talk about while I'm – I guess we can talk. Oh, folks, so how about that weather? I can do two things at once. (laughs) Uh, Well, it's it's cooler than it was in Louisiana last week, Bill. (laughs) Oh, yeah. So uh, all of you who were probably like me and hyperventilating watching Penn State uh, pull out a thriller in Iowa City uh, are better Penn State fans than Matt who thought it would be fun to go to an LSU game, which... In, in fairness to Matt, I think everyone should probably go to an LSU game, especially a night game that LSU is definitely going to win at least once. But at the same time, come on. Yeah, I it, in the moment, it seemed like a great idea. Now, let me all back up a little bit here. My older brother's a Syracuse alum, and about 18 months ago when they announced this game or my brother realized they were playing this game or something like that, um, he 
proclaimed that we were going to the game, which I jumped all over because every good college football fan, I feel like, probably needs to go see a game in Death Valley. Well, he actually followed through and we went, and obviously it turns out it was the night of the uh, the Iowa game last week. And so while LSU was doing everything in their power to not put away Syracuse, um, I was in a state of constant refreshing. I got like a carpal tunnel from constantly refreshing my my Twitter feed and, and uh, associated apps to try and keep up with the, the Iowa-Penn State game um, to the point where we watched the – the final Iowa driver that took the lead while walking back to the car complete with a little mini meltdown when uh, Wadley scored with me throwing my hat um, (laughs) into the sidewalk and then watched the, uh, the end of the Penn state game winning drive um, sitting in the car in the parking lot. um, And then for about five minutes after, you know, catching my breath and letting my heart rate get down to like a normal, normal level before starting the journey back to new Orleans. So, um, yeah, but as as Bill said, go see a game in Tiger Stadium. Um, great, great place to watch a game. Great people, great fans. Um, just kind of a re- really cool experience. And uh, I advise not doing it the weekend of a game that uh, Penn State wins on the last play of the game because yeah. you will have a little bit of a panic attack. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I, part of me never wants to talk about the Iowa game again, but at the same time, it's fun to go back on that and talk about you know, Tuddy in the final seconds and whatnot. Kyle, do you have those odds? I have. I, 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 the guy only tweeted out three names. These aren't even like they're sourced to some weird website, so it may not be true. But oh, it's Tom yeah. Crean two. It's Tom Crean two to one. Kenny Payne five to one, and John Thompson the third six. To oh one. my God, <laughs> uh, Matt, you agree that we should put all our money on John Thompson the third becoming the next Louisville coach, right? Uh, I think so, just because. He's probably kind of desperate for work. <laughs> yeah, I assume. Yeah. Oh God! Ew! Ew! What's what's? Ugh. I, I I'm sorry. I made a promise. I have a list of promises on this show, and one of them is that we'll never talk about John Thompson the third. So let's talk football. Uh, let's, let's do it. Jump into this year's Indiana Hoosiers team. Uh, so far, Indiana is two and one. Started off the year with a pretty hyped up game against Ohio State. They hung with the Buckeyes for a half. Ohio State ends up pulling away. Go to Virginia, win there. Uh, game against FIU gets canceled. Host Georgia Southern last week, beat them. So, Kyle, I guess the big question is, big coaching change, uh, really end of last season, but we'll say this offseason, whatever. Uh, Kevin Wilson out, Tom Allen in. How is this team different with a new direction? You know, it's kind of a hard question to answer right now because – if you stacked up this team to last year's team, there's not a whole lot of uh, differences that you're going to notice right off the bat. Uh, the defense has carried over from last year, mostly thanks to the fact that they carried over pretty much all of their personnel. And to that ex- same on the offense to a certain extent. Uh, so that's going to help kind of retain some of the identity. And um, as far as the offense goes, which is where you would expect to see the biggest impact with, Kevin Wilson and uh, his offensive staff gone, replaced by Mike DeBoard. And uh, oh, I heard, what's his first name from Ole Miss, the wide receivers coach? Grant Hurd? I think it's Grant Hurd, yeah. Uh, who also has input as far as, uh, as, far as how play calling and uh, strategy and scheme and all that good stuff goes. Uh, still kind of running that 
uh, sort of weird, sort of one foot in, one foot out, spread offense, run with a quarterback that's about as mobile as I am, and which I realize is not a very funny joke because no one knows my own mobility, <laughs> but it's not great. <laughs> it's like I could, you know, I could probably evade a couple of things, but you don't want me back there playing quarterback in a, you know, they, they throw in a lot of zone read looks. We have this conversation in Slack every Saturday, which is what is the point of running the zone read with Richard Lego? And as soon as I uh, have a good answer for you on that, I will, I will let you know, but, uh, it's really just it's kind of been weird only having only having the three games and really only one that I feel like is, you know, maybe two that's kind of that you feel like you get a fair evaluation because with the Ohio State game, kind of weird, you know, you're you're obviously outgunned at every position talent wise. Uh, and then the inverse of that is true against a team like Georgia Southern where you're just vastly superior to them at every position. It's really just that road Virginia game that I felt like we got an idea of what Indiana possibly could be. And there were some pretty good returns there because they went out to Virginia and really put it on the Cavaliers. And uh, honestly, that score should have been a lot, uh, that margin should have been a lot bigger than it was if it were not for a dubious uh, handful of calls, uh, one involving a targeting penalty that took uh, a fumble return touchdown off the board. Not that I'm still angry about it. Uh, And then you see Virginia go out to Boise state last week and just throttle the Broncos that, I mean, that game wasn't close for very long at all. And basically just outclassed a very good or what we, what we thought was a very good Boise state Broncos team. And, you know, I think we might find out that they're kind of missing uh, a little bit of their essence, but still that's to go out there, you know, on the blue turf and, and get a win that big, you know, bad teams don't do that. So, I think Virginia's ahead of schedule and IU out of their house and put it on them. So uh, if you want to talk about like what's different about this team, I don't think that's a game that Kevin Wilson wins, to be honest with you. It seems like this was a team that always struggled. It's a team that really always struggled on the road, um, always seemed to play down to their competition um, and play up to their competition. And that was, you know, made for a lot of fun games against teams with uh, numbers next to their name, but also made for a lot of frustrating games against teams like Wake Forest and teams like Southern Illinois and teams like uh, Florida International and, you know, countless examples throughout Kevin Wilson's tenure where IU was sweating out games they shouldn't have been sweating out and would then find themselves losing those games as opposed to now we go out, play Virginia, a team we're better than on paper. I think it's fair to say that IU is, is a better team than Virginia not by a ton. And you know, they were, they were a slight favorite on the road in that game and they went and beat them by two touchdowns and then uh, made the Georgia Southern game an absolute snoozer within five or six minutes. We went three and out on the first drive and everyone went nuts because it's a very damaged fan base. But you know, after that they got, (laughs) they course corrected and they, and it was 24 to nothing by the end of the first quarter. So, uh, so with only three games, like under the belt, the the thing I think stands out most to me is that IU has taken care of business in the way they should have been taking care of business against the teams that they played. I, I don't know what more we could have asked for them against Ohio State. It was 21-20 late in the third quarter. They were in the lead. And then Ohio State, unfortunately, figured out that they could just dump it off to their players in space who are much larger and faster than ours. And 
that would lead to touchdowns at a very uh, prolific rate. So, yeah, and that actually kind of leads to the second question and second thing I want to know about Indiana, which is, I, I think coming into this year there were a lot of people who thought, you know, Kevin Wilson's gone, uh, offense might end up taking a little bit of a step back, but with Tom Allen in there and with how, you know, sneaky good the defense was last year the defense was going to be one of the better units nationally uh i i think you kind of answered this when you said you can't you don't you really only think there's one game that's given a sense of how good this team can be but you know coming to the year people saying offense is going to take a step back defense is going to be legit take a step forward whatever has that been true yeah i i think we've seen as far as that goes i I've seen about what I expected. The offense isn't lighting anybody on fire. They're not, uh, they're not an efficient outfit. They're not an explosive outfit. They're just, they're not actively terrible. Um, but they, they've got a lot of room to grow and it really starts up front with them. Uh, and you hear people say this all the time and I'll try to avoid as many cliches as I can, but you can't overstate the importance of good offensive line play. And one thing that we always had, uh, with Kevin Wilson, and then more importantly, the offensive line coach. Uh, I can't remember any of these guys' first names. I think it's Greg Frey. He's in, he's at Michigan now, and oh, that sucks. It it doesn't take a genius to see. Uh, you know, you don't have to be a football savant. Once he went to Michigan, our offensive line playing our offensive line play cratered. Now we did lose uh, talent on that line, but it's still a lot worse than it, you know, it probably should be because there's, I mean, there's talented players on that line. Uh, Coy Cronk, Brandon Knight, uh, highly talented recruits coming in, played as freshmen. Uh, they're sophomores and juniors now. And, you know, guys that have played together a lot in the past and uh, just looked awful against Ohio state uh, looked even worse against Virginia if that was even possible, and then obviously didn't struggle too much against Georgia Southern, but not a whole lot of people are going to. And so that's really what's kind of buckling down the offense, and, and that's why I've been reserving judgment on, because everyone's quick to want to point out how bad Mike DeBoard is, uh, which I don't I don't understand, but uh, I, I understand the gripes that Michigan fans have for them, and, I could under, and to an extent, I understand why Tennessee fans were frustrated, but at the same time, Tennessee had like the yeah. best offense in yeah. the country the last two months of the season last year. And sure, a lot of that had to do with Josh Dobbs, but I mean, at some point, we have to, we have to admit that you know, credit and blame flows both ways, uh, coach to player. And so there's, there's no reason, there was no reason to just anticipate that Mike DeBoard was going to come in and the offense was going to go to hell. Uh, Richard Lego is a flawed but talented passer, uh, and a lot of those, and he's not going to have the ability to use the talent that he has when he has less than two seconds to make a decision. And that's what's kind of the offensive line is what's created the quarterback controversy, not the quarterbacks themselves. Uh, his backup, Peyton Ramsey, has got some life in his legs and can move around and uh, make guys miss, and you can roll them out and do the kind of things you do when you have a bad offensive line. And uh, to help mitigate, but uh, you know, at one point before the Georgia Southern game, our uh, our two top running backs each had 19 carries combined, and they had 39 yards combined to show for it. 
So, you know, the, you know, you can have a bad running back, but no running back is that bad at this level. Like that's all offensive line play. And especially against, and you know, we gave it a pass against Ohio state because, Oh, you know, every single one, every single member of their front seven is probably going to play on Sunday one day. Uh, but then when it was happening against Virginia, it became a little bit less uh, tolerable. So as far as the offense, like taking a step back, you know, it's compared to last year, it, it looks pretty, it, it looks similar. Uh, it, but even last year didn't look like a Kevin Wilson offense, even though Kevin Wilson was here. Uh, and I think that just goes to show how good Nate Sudfeld was when he was healthy at IU. Uh he could cover up a lot of uh, errors and flaws in your scheme and whatnot. But I mean, there's still, there's still, you know, it's a deep receiver core. Uh, there's guys on there. You have, there's guys on there. You have to be aware of because they can go up and make plays on poorly thrown balls. They've been doing it all year. Uh, looks like we found some, some life out of the backfield with Morgan Ellison, true freshman running back uh, runs hard. Doesn't particularly have uh, you know, that third or fourth gear that, Certain teams are blessed to have in their running backs, and uh, what what are you getting at? <laughs> I'm not getting at anything. <laughs> and, uh, but you know he he's especially good to have around, given the offensive line problems as they are, because he can get hit at the line of scrimmage and at least fall forward. And uh, running back, our other running backs, Mike Majette, Cole Gast are guys that are going to operate better in space and there's just no space for them right now. Yeah. So, but the defense, like I said earlier, has been great. You know, most of that, most of those guys are back. T gray scales is back. Uh, sort of leading that defense and those talented freshmen Riggins and ball though, I believe both are questionable for the Penn state game. Rashad Fanton is back. Uh, and they've looked great early on in the year. Yeah. I mean, Matt, when, Kyle just mentioned that bit about the offensive line. I mean, I I, I don't want to say this, but that almost kind of reminds you of Penn State teams in years past. No, I mean you I, you and I are both watching the uh, the game between Ohio State and Indiana, and yeah, Ohio State was carving their offensive line up, but I didn't think it was like I, I, I'm getting 2014 flashbacks right now hearing that. <laughs> you know, a little bit, you know. It's you know, Lego is no isn't Hackenberg in terms of raw talent, but it's the same kind of player where you yep. know he needs got to keep time up, to right? be able to. He, he's got the big time arm. He he looks the part of NFL quarterback, but when he's getting like Kyle said, you know, a second and a half, two seconds to throw. Um, we even when they were having success against Ohio State, a lot of that was um, and, and full credit to Lego and. Uh, Cobb, but a lot of that was throwing it up and letting Cobb make a play because that's what right. he had time to do. Yep, um, right. Yep. And, and Ohio State secondary is like thirty-five guys who have never played football before. Exactly. Well, never played it college football. Cops, before, so. It was Simi Cobb's against a guy who had never played Big Ten football before. Yeah, and it was throwing the ball up. And there was, I mean, there was a sequence where it was first and goal, I think, from the five, and they just threw it to Simi Cobb's on three fade routes in a row <laughs> because they. And, and the thing is, I, I was in the stands yelling to do the same thing. Like before, the, before they even snapped the ball on first down, I said, just throw it to Simi three times. I, I, I didn't necessarily mean throw a fade three times, but there's no way that that guy is going to hold up 
three straight times. And he, he held up the first, he nearly gave it up on the first one and knocked the ball out the last second. Uh, and I think the second one was an overthrow. And then the third, he just put it up and Cobbs went up and high pointed it. And that was it. And everyone in the stadium knew the ball was going to Cobbs like three straight times. Like we knew it. Lego knew it. Ohio state knew it. That corner knew it. And that corner knew he couldn't do anything about it. It was it was actually a lot of fun to watch. It was, it was one of the most entertaining sequences I can remember as like an IU fan, just in, sort of in a vacuum, sort of devoid of context, just knowing that, you know, you don't get that feeling a lot as an IU football fan. It's just <laughs> so, like probably like if you line up like, you know, first and goal for you guys and it's just like, okay, just give it to Barkley three times. Yeah. You know, I think, wouldn't you? <laughs> uh, That's yeah, a whole other discussion. That, yeah. Or, but, you guys, or you guys line up first and 10 from like, uh, your own 30. It's like, just give it to Barkley three times and we'll be in the end zone. Yeah. Because well, that's how it seems like every time I'm watching Penn State. I, I'm actually really glad you brought up that thing about Indiana fans because kind of the last question before we dive into this game is I, I think we're still early enough in the year, uh, especially, you know, Indiana's played three games where preseason expectations kind of apply. So looking at... Uh, you know, looking at football study hall, Indiana's win probability is uh, just doing some quick math here. Eighty-eight percent chance they finish with somewhere between five and eight wins. It seems like that's kind of par for the course for Indiana. Is that kind of the expectation that this is going to be another year? It's going to be, you know, it's going to be five, six, seven, eight wins. Maybe they go to the bowl game. Maybe they win the bowl game. And then, you know, next thing you know, one day we all die because the sun explodes. Like, what is the expectation <laughs> this year? I think it, it's actually a great question to ask now that the Virginia game has passed because going into the season, the Virginia game was looked as a it's sort of a big swing game for IU, uh, kind of for the reasons that I stated earlier about how it's a game that IU has typically lost in the past. And if they wanted to break out of, you know, no, no IU fan should complain about a six and six season and a bowl appearance. Uh, we still had to do this a couple more times in a row, I think, before we can start demanding more, just given our history. And so, you know, my personal expectation uh, and hope is that the team qualifies for a bowl game. Uh, I think I'm at the point now where, where I could hope to win the bowl game, but those matchups get so crazy now uh, based on who gets pulled out and. You know, IU was uh, a decent, average Big Ten team, and they pulled out, you know, ranked Utah to play in a in a bowl about like two hours from Utah's campus or whatever. And so, uh, so you know, your expectation. So it, what a game! Yeah, <laughs> it's easy to say we need to win a bowl game this year, but until you know what that bowl game is going to consist of. You know, it's kind of ridiculous to to expect to win a game when you're when you're a team like Indiana, where that matchup's going to mean everything, and you're in that weird sort of hodgepodge of how uh, how the bowl games shake out yeah. based on how many teams qualify for New Year's Six or better. And you know, given that the Big Ten was all over the you know all over the New Year's Six in the college football playoff last year, uh, it, it it resulted in mismatches all up and down the line for Big Ten teams because the first non-New Year's Six Big Ten team to go to a bowl last year was probably like uh, Northwestern. Yeah, it was like them, I was something like that. That makes sense. Yeah, exactly. It's so, like, you know, not, not saying those teams are bad, but no, they they're are. going... <laughs> they're the, they're the quote-unquote, you know, 
first pick of the Big Ten, and they're going up against, you know, the actual second best team out of the Big Twelve or the Pac twelve or something like that. So um that's uh so you know the expectation for me and I uh I'll just imprint this on all IU fans is that the expectation is to qualify for a bowl game. Uh I think that's the expectation of the staff. I think that's the expectation of uh of any re- of any reasonable fan. But we also know that because we pocketed that Virginia game, uh we have no excuse to not go undefeated in our non conference. Um so we won't have to spend the season catching up on like we did last year where we lost to Wake Forest at home. Uh, again, as I told you, weird ass games that I, you shouldn't lose. They lose. Um, so you look at the schedule going forward. They're going to play an FCS team. You don't want to chalk everything up as a win, but. Uh, no, you, no, we'll, we'll chalk that up yeah. as a win for the purposes of this and, podcast. And then you've got, you know, you get to, you've got. Maryland on the schedule, who's obviously uh, in dire straits now that by that point, they'll probably be on their ninth quarterback at the rate they're going at. Uh, You've got road games at Illinois. You've got Rutgers at home and you've got a road game to Purdue who won't qualify for the CFP this year, uh, despite what you may have read about them in the lead up to the Michigan Uh game. So the, the Purdue love really, uh, got me indignant, which, as I said earlier, I always look for reasons to be indignant. L- so. Listen, uh, I, I'm not going to pretend that I didn't. I don't love Purdue, and I'm also going to... <laughs> Matt, I'm pretty sure you love Purdue as well. I, I love uh, the giant slip and slide at Purdue. <laughs> well, they have this week off, so fortunately we won't talk about them at the end of this episode. But let's dive into this game. Uh, just, I you kind of laid it out, Kyle, so... In kind of the simplest terms, IU's strengths and weaknesses. It sounds like the strengths are Simi Cobbs and the defense. The weakness is the offensive line. Like, is it really that easy? Just about. Um, you know the the weak. You know, you could say the weakness is just the offense. I mean, they're they're struggling to get points on the board against teams uh, that can actually play some defense. I mean. Virginia uh, boiled down to a couple incredible plays by two wide receivers, Simi Cobbs with an incredible catch and run in which he turned a, a tackle attempt into basically a uh, his own personal slingshot into a spin move and, uh, and then just outran the other four guys that were still ahead of him to tackle him. And then the other was... Uh, was a great adjustment on an underthrown ball in the end zone and just out leaping a guy by uh, Donovan Hale, uh, who is the opposite starter and also offers great size for the position. Um, he's like six, two or six, three or something like that. So, uh, we, we've got ourselves a punt returner. Uh, Jay Sean Harris has taken, uh, two back to the house already. And, uh, he's a really, he's a, he's a real, uh, feel good story. I think for anyone, he, tore his ACL in consecutive seasons uh, in summer practice. So he hasn't been on the field in a long, long time. And uh, to see him back and still have that uh, good speed and uh, ability to change direction, the kind of things you look for in a punt returner is is nice. And really the special teams unit as a whole is vastly improved over last year. Uh, we've got our punter situation figured out. We've, we've turned it over to an to uh to an Australian 
uh, outsourced it to uh, <laughs> to the to the uh, to the Aussie to the uh, rising Aussie punter empire, and uh, uh, Hayden Whitehead has uh, done a tremendous job um, early on in the year. Griffin Oaks no longer has like a quad that's ripped in half, so he has resumed his. <laughs> uh, he has resumed his. He, he's back to being very good at kicking. He's back to being very good at kicking. He hit a. Uh, um, I want to say it was a 51 yarder against Virginia. That would have been good from further back than that. And uh, you could just see how excited he was to see that kick go in because you know last year was torture for IU fans. It was torture for him to see a guy that we knew was so talented, a guy that I had seen with my own eyes hit a 60 yard field goal. Um, and uh, to, to be so bad, uh, he was awful last year, and it, and it was revealed later that he was uh, injured most of the year. And uh, it's just so weird that uh, a guy that was hurt was forced to play, or you know was was told to push through it by Kevin Wilson's staff. It just, oh man, that's incredible, and uh, you know you just can't believe that that happened. And except that's exactly what ended up happening all up and down the uh, the. I, I'm afraid we're going to find out even more and more about how kind of gross that uh, that whole thing was. But um, yeah, so as far as you know, as far as weaknesses go, uh, the offensive line. You know, I've talked at nauseum about it. We'll talk about it too much more. But uh, there's no. Run, I mean, Morgan Ellison is a, is a good running back, but he's not. Uh, he's really only had. Uh, one great game, and that was against Georgia Southern. And uh, so, until he uh, until he can kind of prove it against a uh, a more stout opponent, I will reserve my uh, hype train ticket. And on defense, they've got this really weird habit where they'll either uh, they'll force it, and, and I'm actually really interested to see how this goes with the Penn State offense. Um, that also seems to still be uh, feast or famine uh, while mostly being feast. Uh, however, I do think uh, Penn State will kind of get into ruts every now and then where they, they'll string a bunch of three and outs together because the, the IU defense will, it seems like they'll either force a three and out or they'll, or they'll allow a long drive for a touchdown. Um, if they, if an offense gets going against them for whatever reason, they just, especially once the team gets inside the 40 yard line, um, you know, there, I'll have to check again, but I want to say they're like near dead last on points per trip allowed inside the 40 yard line. And despite being like a top 30 defense. So, uh, you know, I guess if you want to let your guys know, that's a good strategy is if you get inside the 40 yard line. Just, just shove it in cruise control there because I will, you will basically escort you to the end zone at that point. Yeah, well, so after last week, Penn State had a, that was Penn State's big issue scoring when they got into the red zone. So I'm glad that uh, the Hoosiers are here to kind of, uh, you you know, kind of help that out a little bit. Matt, I want to get your thoughts as uh, you know a Penn State fan when you hear the Indiana Hoosiers and you think of what Penn State does poorly. Uh, we'll talk about what has to happen for Indiana to win this game in a second, but who are you looking out for, and what Indiana player do you think could be the guy who ultimately decides what ends up happening in this game? Well, I think the obvious answer is T. Gray Scales. 
um, you know, we've talked a lot leading up to the season and, and early on in this, the podcast here about how talented he is and um, you know what a key player he is to the, the Hoosiers' defense. But we've seen really for all four of Penn State's games now um, just a level of, I guess I'll call it inconsistency from the offensive line in protecting Trace McSorley. Um, you know, Iowa was, was really able to exploit that as much as anyone um, with their two um, defensive ends. But when Penn State struggles, it's because um, I'm probably going to be overly vague in this, but it's a matter of getting to McSorley early in the game where even when he does have time, you know, that internal clock is accelerated a little bit just because he's been been rushed, he's been sacked, he's been hit, he's been forced out of the pocket early on, um, leading to, you know, poor mechanics, you know, throwing the ball before a guy comes open, um, not waiting for routes to develop, that sort of thing. And I think um, Scales is the player, and Kyle, you can jump in and correct me if I'm wrong here, he's the, he's the one guy that if you had to pick one person, one player on the, the Indiana defense that's going to be able to take advantage of that. It's he scales as the guy you'd look at to do that. Um, so I think you man, you keep him under control, whether it's a matter of keeping an extra blocker in, whether it's doing something with just a matter of play calls and you know, running certain sorts of sets that are going to you know, neutralize him to some degree. Um, that's that's the one player that, that I would expect Penn State to kind of you watch the quarterback before a snap in any game, and you know he's pointing out certain players. He's the one guy that Trace McSorley is going to point out before a snap on Saturday. That's the guy they're going to want to, want to make sure they know where he is every every play. Yeah, I, definitely no disagreement there. He he makes it happen. Um, you, you use the term, oh, who's the quarterback of the defense? I, you know, it, it's true. Him and uh, him and Fant are the leaders. You know, Fant's kind of leading the back end, and uh, Scales leads the front end, and. Uh, you know the guy. The guy really does it all for IU, and uh, I, you know I would say the only the only issue that I have I don't even necessarily want to call it an issue because the the product has been so overwhelmingly good. But the uh, uh, the unit as a whole has struggled to produce turnovers um, and kind of uh, get those quick change situations uh, where their offense can get the ball with the short field. And uh, and make something happen, or and that's part of why they're probably allowing so many points inside the forty because uh, it's gets a lot easier to score points once you're in there if you're not uh, generating turnovers because you know you're you're getting the field goal range for most kickers and uh, and can I just completely lost my train of thought. Yeah, uh, I, have a good ex- I don't even have a good excuse Fuck for it. I, was, I, I actually, I just noticed a light bulb was out on a, on a lighting <laughs> picture that's right in front of uh, me. <laughs> for all of you listening, uh, yes, Kyle is a dad. So, uh, so <laughs> quick, let's segue to something else. <laughs> Kyle, how does a team beat Indiana? You uh, don't you dare say you score more points than them. I you. You, you've got to exploit the offensive line and and you and really the way if you really want to beat Indiana you really want to put them in their place you you exploit their offensive line with you know three or four guys um, allowing you know because you you drop everyone else in coverage you can get every, you know you can get eyes on the uh, if they put Ramsey in the game it allow it frees up a guy to 
to spy Ramsey. You can double Cobbs. You can do all sorts of things that'll get him out of whack if you can generate pressure. And now, you know, it's funny is, oh, how do you beat this team? And you, you try to sound like nuanced and granular in your analysis and you end up realizing what you just said would work on any team you play ever, but <laughs> specifically with Indiana, because their offensive line play has been so inconsistent. Uh, if, if Penn state can, and you know, without sounding too, uh, fatalist, I have no reason to believe that they can't, uh, generate pressure, you know, with, with their, you know, with three or four guys, then, Indiana is in all sorts of trouble and because they're, they're not going to be able to run the ball and they're not going to have enough time with Lego back there to, uh, to, to attack down the field. And so that leaves them with, you know, short passes against a team that's got better athletes than them. And that's not a good recipe for success. Uh, as far as getting scoring on the defense, I kind of alluded to it earlier. Uh, you just, you kind of get that first first down and and start chaining together plays because I you know I, I say this now going up against one of the better big play units in the conference and in the country but IU has has held up against the big play uh, early on they haven't gotten beat for long gains through the air or on the ground very often at all um, they've they've enjoyed excellent safety play they've got really three or four guys they can count on um, there in the back to to make plays or they get the, all the defensive backs are good on getting their mitts on the ball. They're not as good as catching it. So I would like them to be, uh, but they, that's one thing I've noticed ever since Tom Allen came aboard last year was how much better I use DBs got at playing the ball in the air. Um, and not, not giving up on it even just because the receivers got their hands on it. You know, especially Rashad Fant has done such a good job of, uh, uh, knocking the ball out of, out of a receiver's hands after he's gotten two hands on it before he gets to the ground and, and stuff like that. So you, you've just got to be able to sustain drives. Um, you know, you look at last year's game between Penn state and uh, Indiana, it was ugly for a long time. <laughs> uh, and I want to say, God, they were both teams were seemed like they were trading three and outs forever. Um, IU is obviously, uh, couldn't hold on to the ball to save their lives, uh, if I recall correctly. But neither team was running a particularly uh, efficient offense. And then uh, Penn State finally started hitting on those big plays. Um, and McSorley, I think he had close to like 350 yards or something. And yeah, I know he did it on less than 20 completions. So, you know, it's kind of one of those things where if you can – if you can beat Indiana over the top, uh, you're going to be in good shape because I, I just you Indiana does not want to end up in a shootout by any means. They they'll get outgunned by just about everybody because they, they just don't where it needs to be for that kind of stuff, which is insane to say. Uh, couple years after the after the run we had under Kevin Wilson, so was that a good answer? I don't. I feel like I, I feel like I rambled there for a while. <laughs> It's okay. We're an amateur podcast. Uh, <laughs> it's like that Michael Scott quote. It's like sometimes I don't even know where I'm going with the sentence. I just hope I find it along the way. That's kind of how I felt there. So, <laughs> all right. So, Matt, I mean, when you hear that, you hear it. At least when it comes to Indiana's offense, it's 
do what Penn State was able to do so well last week against Iowa, which is get in the backfield, get pressure on the quarterback, uh, don't let the running backs go anywhere, which, of course, that worked for Penn State for basically three and a half quarters until Akram you know, broke one or two runs. But let's look on the other side of things. What do you think needs to happen uh, for Indiana to beat Penn State other than, you know, just the opposite of everything that Kyle just said? <laughs> well, I, I think Sorry, you kind of got... Great way, such a well, great way to phrase a question. Well, yeah, I mean, you just said this is what Indiana has to... Uh, Penn State... Uh, what, that's, this is how you beat Indiana. You would assume that the answer to the opposite of that question is the opposite of everything, but Matt, like, if... Like, what ways do you think Indiana beats Penn State? Well, I think you kind of got the blueprint for it last week. Um, and as we discussed early on, I, I only saw about three minutes of that game live, um, but went back and watched it you know, the, the day after when I got back home. And not to sound too full of myself or full of ourselves as Penn State fans, but I think for the most part, Penn State did what they wanted to do against Iowa. They had almost 600 yards of offense. They held Iowa to like 273 or something like that. Um, The big things were they left 14 points on the field with two missed field goals and two field goals inside the three-yard line. Um, They turned the ball over twice, um, and they gave up the big play to Iowa. um, One for sure, and I guess you could consider the second Iowa touchdown. Um, I guess really all three of them, if you want to look at it, now that I think about it, really were all – um, built off of off of the big play, which Penn State has done such a great job of, really for as long as I remember under Franklin of limiting that big those big chunk plays, and so I think based on what what Kyle said and what we've seen so far from both the Indiana offense and the Penn State defense is the Penn State defense needs to not play its game if Penn State's going to let Iowa move the ball. They've they've given up. I can't do the math in my head here this quick, but they've given up less than nine points a game on on defense, um, and they they're giving up on average less than three hundred yards or thereabouts um, per game on defense. And everything that we've seen from India and everything that's, that Kyle said would make you think that Penn State's defensive line, which has been so good this year, um, yep, is is going to be is going to be very good again. Um, cause you know, cause those chaos plays, cause those those negative plays. Um, and on offense, Penn State just needs to take care of the football um, and finish off drives. Don't you know? Don't give up the uh, short field on an interception or a fumble. Don't settle for three points when you get inside the ten yard line. Finish those drives. Put six or seven points on the board. Um, and then you know, like every coach or every pundit's going to tell you, don't give up the big play special teams. Um, you know, when you're clearly the more talented team, like Penn State is going into this game at virtually every position, if not every position then it's really a matter of you can't beat yourself. You can't do things that are going to make Indiana's life easier, whether that's giving, you know, letting them score you know, on, on the big play from, from 70 yards away, letting them you know, beat you down the field or a long catch and run, or you know, give up that, that interception in your own end of the field where you're going to give them a short field where they've got kind of three points running in the back of their pocket. Take care of your business. Um, do what, really what they've been doing for the most part all season. Um, and with the exception of Iowa, they've finished off drives. They've put six points on the board instead of three. Um, they haven't turned the ball over until last Saturday. Um, I think the, the biggest thing going in their way is one, I think there's a little bit of a sour taste in their mouth, even though they came back and won the game, obviously last weekend. 
is um, this is an experienced team. You know, how many ever starters it is back from last year. Um, lots of juniors and seniors in key positions. Um, fourth and fifth year players in a lot of key spots that they know that that game last week shouldn't have been as close as it was. They did things. There was a lot of self-inflicted wounds. I didn't take anything away from Iowa, but there were plays that were not made. There were mistakes that were made, um, you know, by a number of players on, on both sides of the ball. If you want to look at, you know, the long, wildly run, there were missed tackles, um, or like the cash run, I should say the, the go ahead touchdown. Um, there's a poor angle taken by, I think it was Apke. The linebackers weren't lined up yeah. pre-snap correctly. Um, a lot of that was is self-inflicted. That's not anything that Iowa necessarily did that um, forced Penn State to to give up those plays or on the other side of the field. I don't think, um, and we've talked a lot about this a lot um, in the days since the game, that I don't think Penn State um, was limited by what Iowa necessarily did in the red zone. I think there were some, you know, just execution errors, and I think you heard Franklin allude to that a little bit on on Tuesday during his press conference as well. Um, so really it's, it, it's a cliche answer, but I think, like I said, when you're the better team, um, you know, all across the board, the biggest thing is just don't you know, look at the anatomy of an upset. It's always, you know, turnovers, special teams, that sort of thing. Don't, don't do things that are going to give give Indiana home. Don't do things that are going to make their life easier. Um, I think the biggest thing going in Penn State's advantage is, is getting back home with a, with an experienced yep, team. Sure. Um, Penn State hasn't lost a home game in almost two years now, um, and really there hasn't been. Is that real? Like, Are yeah. you serious? Yeah. yeah the, the last home game they lost was the Michigan, Michigan game the in uh, 2015. Two, yeah, Michigan game. That was a uh, here. Give me a second. I have the schedule right here. Penn State's it was, last. It was, it was November. It was like November 20th right. or something. It was right before Thanksgiving, I believe. Um, but but and you look at it, those games really haven't even been that close since then. And anyway, we're going off of you know a season plus, but with the exception of Minnesota last year, there hasn't really been um, a close game. And really, if you want to pick a game that Penn State hasn't played well at home, it's either that Minnesota game or Pitt, where they won by 19 points. So, um, or, or think, if you want to say Ohio State, I guess you could say Ohio State. But that's a, the circumstances that's, that's for a that totally is a lot different from animal, the yeah. Um, and he heard Franklin allude to it a little bit too on Wednesday at his, his uh, post practice, um, you know, ten or fifteen minute press conference he does every week. That I, the team has a little bit of juice, and he he gave the uh, the I don't know, we're calling retro jerseys or throwback jerseys or whatever they're wearing this week. Gave that a little bit of credit for it, but I, th- there's a, a a quiet confidence, or maybe it's not so quiet, but there's a there's a confidence about just every you know Franklin's mannerisms, the team's mannerisms. They know they're good. Um, and I think they they know they're getting back home, um, and they've got a chance to kind of you know, put put any sort of lingering doubt that that they as a team or the fan base has in the rearview mirror from last week in Iowa, um, and and kind of put together a complete performance that's going to kind of leave everyone you know a little more confident before they head into Evanston next weekend. Yeah, I, I'll be a hundred percent honest. Like, I. I've seen T. Gray Scales enough times put forward one of those Herculean efforts where he's just all over the field and just hitting stuff and keeping things in front of him and, you know, being the engine that makes Indiana's defense go. Uh, I think we saw last week with Josie Jewell that your best hope 
is that you accept that Saquon Barkley is going to get the ball and then you try to stop him. And I would not be surprised if we saw a very similar thing uh, out of Indiana with Scales kind of filling that dual role with the difference being that, you know, Scales is a better athlete, so he should be able to close on Barkley a little bit better. And, you know, some of those Barkley gains that went for seven, eight, nine yards go for four, five, six instead. And then I, on the, I mean, I'm not too terribly worried just in general, just because, I mean, it's very hard even when you try to be worried about what Saquon Barkley is going to do because he's Saquon Barkley. Other side of the ball, like, I am a little worried about this Penn State secondary that Akron hasn't tested them, Pitt sure as hell hasn't tested them, Georgia State (laughs) hasn't tested them, and Iowa hasn't tested them. This is the first real test it's going to have. All you need is the offensive line to put it together for one game or one couple stretch of drives. And if you give Legout time to throw and he's able to sit back in that pocket and he's able to uncork that deep ball that he has – Simi Cobbs is about as good of a guy in the conference that you have throwing the ball up to. And I am a little bit worried about what happens with uh, Christian Campbell and Grant Haley and uh, Amani Overwarrie if he plays. And even Lamont Wayne, uh, Tariq Castro Fields, and whoever's at safety. Because they just haven't seen this yet this year. Uh, I think that they can... I don't want to say stop Cobbs or slow him down, but I think they can kind of limit that damage. Uh, but I also think it's something that should be in the back of Penn State fans' heads. Like, this is just something that we've not seen Penn State have to deal with this year. Uh, having said that, looking at uh, Vegas, Penn State's 17.5-point favorite. Bill Conley has a uh, projected margin, Penn State 18. I don't think that happens. For the second week in a row, I'm going to say 33-20 ends up being the final score. Uh, Matt, what do you think? I think it's a little more. I'm putting me on the spot here. It's right on the edge end that says predictions, and I didn't even I didn't read down that far. Uh, I'll say something like, like <laughs> very good, like 41-24, something like that. I don't think it's. I don't think it's. It's gonna be kind of like the pit game, I guess, where it's maybe the score looks kind of close for a while, but I don't think it's ever gonna feel like, um, you know, Indiana's gonna you're get not, back in the game. You're not going to feel always, threatened, basically. Exactly. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, I, I mean, it's always very fun to say that when we have a guest on the podcast because it's hard to say that in a way that's like, yeah, we do respect your team, but also we think it's going to be a blowout. Sorry. Uh, so oh, Kyle, no worries. I... <laughs> <laughs> Kyle, what do you think is going to end up happening? Uh, I think I think it'll look similar to the Ohio State game um, with maybe a little bit uh, friendlier score on the back end just because I think uh, – um, IU's defense has kind of got their feet a little bit more under them now, and they might have uh, uh, the Mullen might have gotten them a little too much at home, and maybe they put a little too much pressure on themselves. And uh, going on the road, I think allows them to. Uh, it's certainly not not don't want to make it sound like it's an advantage to play on the road, but uh, you know I think they know they're up against it. Uh, there's not a lot of ways that they can uh, twist around and motivate themselves to uh, to say that this is anything other than just a monumental task, but. Uh, you know, I think it'll be close at halftime. I, I won't say that IU is going to be in the lead, but I think it'll be. I think it'll be ugly early, um, and uh, you know, a couple touchdowns uh, for Penn State by the halftime. Maybe a touchdown, and a field goal for uh, IU, and then ends up Penn State kind of slowly pulls away, uh, ends up looking something around you know thirty-five, thirty-eight uh, for Penn State, and then 
somewhere between 14 and 20 for Indiana. Uh, if I had a, I guess I should probably just put an actual score on it instead of just <laughs> ranging around like an idiot. Uh, say, say it's uh, 38, 38, 17. I think that's uh, a fair way to surmise how I feel about it. So would not complain about that at all. Uh, yeah. yeah. I, I think it's going to, I think it'll be, I think it should be, uh, you know, a pretty easy, a, it'll, it'll look like an easy victory. I'm not saying I, will necessarily right. Right. Make it easy, but uh, they're just, it's, uh, I'm just not looking forward to uh tagline Saquon Barkley. And this is coming from a team that did a good job on Barkley last year. Oh yeah. Indiana did as good of a job as anyone did on Barkley last I year. I can't imagine anyone did any like, you know, I, I just pulled the stats now. I was like, didn't we have a pretty good game? It's like guy had 33 carries for 58 yards last year. Yeah. So yeah, that's, uh, yeah, that's good. Of course. <laughs> of course. Now he, I, I mean, this is a little different because this is his first game, uh, I mean, like, I have no problem saying it. This is his first game since becoming the front runner for the Heisman Trophy. So, I'm ve- like, I am very, very interested to see how Penn State tries to handle that. Whether they try to say, like, we know what we got right now. We know that a good thing is going on with Saquon. He's back in front of his home fans. Last year's game was a little ugly. Let's try and make a statement. But that's going to be a a very fun thing to watch. And I'm willing to say that he has a better game than he has last year. But I'm not. Uh, I can't see the future, so who knows? If he if he cracks up like a couple long runs early, um, you know, I, I'll I'll be very uh, very disheartened because I think that that's the recipe where the game gets out of hand real quick. Um, the only way I think IU stays in this for the long haul is if they they clamp basically. It, it has to go like last year's game did. You know, they've got to yeah. they've got to drag Penn State down into a into a brick fight. They got to make Trace McSorley make throws to keep drives going. Um, and not and not bail Penn State out with uh, with letting them get those like hit on those long passes and stuff, which they did a good job through about three quarters last year before uh, the levy kind of broke, as it usually does. Indiana football. <sighs> Let's real quick, and uh, I'm going to just go down the Big Ten games, and you're going to y'all are going to say whether you care or not, and then if one of you says yes, you can talk about it for a minute. But this week's slate is just. God awful. It starts off with Friday with a game that really illustrates how terrible this week's slate is. 8 p.m. FS1, Nebraska travels to Illinois. I cannot imagine watching a single second of this. Oh, God, you can't imagine it until you put a bunch of money on the under. <laughs> <laughs> which, I which, just, is, which is somehow 46. Which I How is it 46? How about this? If, if I had told you back in August that Nebraska would be only a six-point favorite against Illinois. What would your reaction be? I mean, that probably Just sounds about right because I think, I think Mike Ryan <laughs> who killed Tanner Lee. I mean, that's <laughs> because Nebraska. It, it would be Nebraska getting exactly what they deserved. So, <laughs> with with the hiring of uh, Reich Miley, who now will only be referred to by his Spoonerized name. <laughs> Yes. What a terrible hire that was. Hey, w- uh, listen, Scott Frost wasn't ready yet. Now he's ready. He'll get it. Whatever. <laughs> why? Why would he leave powerhouse CFP bound UCF to well, go revitalize Nebraska? <laughs> Something about going home, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> Did you? By the way, speaking of over unders, I don't know how I didn't talk about this. Have you guys seen the over under for the Penn State Indiana game? I've not. 60, 64, 65? It's sixty nine and a half. Nice. Oh, what? I mean, I don't know what it is now, but I locked in on September 27th. You picked the under, I'm guessing? 
at, yeah, that was today, September 27th. That's today. Yes, I took the under because I was like, even if even if the worst the worst case scenario I can imagine is Penn State winning like 45 to 21, yeah. like, and that's I get like they're they're trying to say that either this game is going to get played by both teams in the 30s, no chance. No, I'll tell you right now, there's no chance IU clears 30 points in this game. Like, not not against that defense, not in that stadium. It's not going to happen. Or that Penn State's going to win this game, like, with them scoring, like, 50 or 60 points. Which, no, which I, I really can't imagine that's going to happen. Yeah, it's, right? It's down right. to 65 now, so I'm, yeah, I'm it's, it's it coming out. Like, but you getting it at 69 and a half is, like, free money. Yeah. If, if any if anyone can find that anywhere, if any of you are subscribing to the uh, horrible, uh, like, the fake gambling site that Clay Travis uses to make his lines look a lot better, like, congratulations. <laughs> That's definitely uh, good for you. Uh, let, next, me go, let, let me see what my – keep going. I'm going to see what it's at on my – Yeah, no problem. Uh, uh, next up – You can still get it You can still get it at 69 and a half if, you, uh, if you're big into betting Bitcoin on the internet. Oh, Jesus. Which I am. <laughs> Oh, God. All right, the rest of the slate is Northwestern, Wisconsin, Maryland, Minnesota, Iowa, Michigan State, Ohio State, Rutgers. I don't know how we can keep going after uh, after Kyle says he bets Bitcoin on the internet. <laughs> I, I need I need to say one thing really quick about, can I guess which about game the Ohio State-Rutgers game. Yep, Ohio State-Rutgers. I think we should talk about that for half a second, yeah. Well, the one thing I want to mention about this has very little to do about the actual game. Like, Rutgers might may actually get, like, three points this year oh, against yeah, an actual like, Big Ten team, which would be kind of cool. The only way this game doesn't end in something, in just a complete bloodbath, is if Urban Meyer goes, Listen, Chris, you used to coach for me. I will be merciful. <laughs> well, that, that has absolutely nothing to do with, with why this game is so intriguing to me. I stumbled across this um, while eating lunch this afternoon, but apparently Rutgers is going to honor career 68 and 67 head coach Greg Yes! yes! <laughs> oh my <laughs> god. Like, this is a guy that outside, you take away his 11-2 and two season in like the weird year that was 2006 college football, was below 500. <laughs> like, he was like an 8-9 eight, eight, win guy. And I, I guess Rutgers. Rutgers has not been good since they, like college football started. But, they were the birthplace of college football, you know. I don't know if you've ever been told that. that. <laughs> yeah, it's like, it's like the, the only thing that is kind of going for him. But, like, they, they are honoring a 68 and 67 coach who, has who is returning as the, as the defensive coordinator. He's not even returning as, like, a head coach. Like, th- this is what Rutgers football has become. Yeah, that's awful. That's, or that's it, so, I guess it's it's so, that's so amazing. Oh, my God. Oh. And yes, I am hate watching this game at eight o'clock, um, opposite the Clemson Virginia Tech game. I just can't, I cannot believe that they are going to honor a man who gave uh, the 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 upstanding organization that is the Tampa Bay Buccaneers MRSA. <laughs> oh, God, I do have to say, you know, shouts to my buddy getting married because this is an awful, awful Saturday. Oh yeah, oh yeah, football. Like it's. It's bad up and down. The only like the only game that like makes me raise my eyebrows is on Friday night. That's USC Washington State, and that's just because you know that game's gonna get weird. Yeah, 
Yeah, I think any the Virginia Tech will be kind of fun, you know, big crowd in Blacksburg, whatever. But yeah, hold on. If I, I may, see, I like, if I, I may, like. friends, 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 uh, Florida Vandy. Oh God! <laughs> Hell yeah! Speaking of yeah, speaking of weird football, that has like an eleven to nine final written all over it. That's oh, gonna be man. that's gonna be a fiver. That's gonna be a fiver. Mississippi so. Mississippi State is going to ground Auburn into dust. That's going to be awesome. Oh. What, who does LSU play, or do, do they play? Because um, after watching after watching that game, that offense in person, um, I just want to know what what I need to avoid because that I, one game of that in person was, was plenty. I need like a couple of weeks break at least before I watch that yeah, again. Yeah, they're they're playing Troy. Don't worry, LSU is yeah. You're, you're okay, fine. okay. Yeah, this late this week this weekend sucks. So, uh, oh wait, no, never mind. Oklahoma State, Texas Tech, in Lubbock, eight p.m. kick. There we go. Okay, no, that would be like I would definitely turn that on. Yeah, uh, if I were, but see, even then, that's not a game that like. I mean, I'm assuming like that. That's going to have some fun moments, but I don't expect Texas Tech to like make that game interesting. I guess it's in Lubbock, so it could be. You know, there's a good potential there, I suppose. Yeah. Uh, but oh, uh, I'm just going up and down this thing. Washington, Oregon State, South Carolina, Texas A&M. This is, this is an affront to God and science. Well, speaking Ugh. of affronts to God and science, thank you for listening to this <laughs> podcast. Kyle, uh, let everyone know where they can find your work, find your posts, all that stuff. Uh, you can find us at crimsonquarry.com or on Twitter where we probably do our best work, which the handle is Crimson Quarry. So, yeah. You, you know uh, those yeah. the guys who are trying to get out Saquon Barkley to go apple picking this weekend. <laughs> that, dude, if I can say we've we've talked for like an hour now, but I'm going to say one more thing. The response to that article was, I was so happy. Like Penn state fans were just like, like joyously sharing that article. Like it was the funniest thing they'd ever read. Yeah. And instead of like, because there, there are certain college football fan bases out there, read most college football fan bases out there, <laughs> especially fan bases of good teams that would have like turned this into some sort of like trash talking. And it was like, Oh, I bet you wish he'd be apple picking. Cause he's going to be picking your defense apart. <laughs> it's just like, chill out. Kyle's thought about this. <laughs> Kyle, I have one very important thought to share with you on this. Okay. Um, as most of our listeners are probably aware, um, we had a very um, formal response to uh, your request. <laughs> um, <laughs> as, as of the second we are recording this, it is our high, the it is warlinesroar.com's highest traffic post by um, over by almost three thousand page views this week. So <laughs> oh, uh, oh, the, the, the response to, to your article has been great. The response to our response has been great. That's and we actually we actually talked about writing a response to your response. <laughs> like, is that thing a bit too far? <laughs> no, absolutely not. Oh man, uh, just going down that endless vortex. Hunt week is weird, so we are all about about the weird. The Saquon piece is still hold. It, it's our fourth most traffic article today, but um, with, I mean, like anything tangentially related to IU basketball right. is going to right. like shoot to the top. So a satire piece about a about an opponent's running back is going to get pushed down once there's a possible chain of reaction started by the Federal Bureau of Investigation <laughs> that will be Romeo Langford committing to Indiana. So we were just, oh God, we're just like hate writing stuff for clicks. It's awful. We lead a miserable existence. Please free me. So, so with that, thank you for listening to this edition of Roar Lions Radio. Uh, where, if you want to subscribe to us, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, SoundCloud, Overcast. Subscribe on iTunes, leave a review, all that. Follow us on Twitter at RLR Blog. Like us on Facebook. 
keep reading the site, keep supporting the site, buy some shirts. They're still very comfortable, and we would appreciate that. One last time, Kyle Swick, Crimson Quarry, thank you very much for coming on over. Check out their site. Uh, I name-dropped it in a piece for Uproxx today, which I probably should have told them about, but I didn't, so I'm going to do it right now. Ooh. For Matt DeBear, I'm Bill DeFilippo. Take care, everyone.